0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Online Worship Service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, hello. If you're visiting with us, I'm Pastor John, the senior pastor here at Stonebridge. And as Pastor Jonathan said, we are going to be... Concluding a sermon series today, but before we do that, I wanted to make sure you all knew that we were actually in the acorn, the most recent one. Did people saw that? Yeah, page 12. There you go, right there. What's funny is um, I'm I'm quoted in it, which is fine, but I found out about that from reading it yesterday. (laughs) So... (laughs) Which is fine. It was public comment, but a little heads up would have been nice. But it was related to our hearing before the planning commission to build an outdoor sanctuary. So if you couldn't be there, if you want to learn a little bit more about it, you can read that article. Like I said, it's on page 12 of the acorn there. Um, So that's exciting stuff, I thought. That was cool. But we are concluding a sermon series entitled Today, looking at the Gospel of Luke and the way the Gospel of Luke uses this word today, specifically at key points, to signify a couple of things. One is, the word today, it signifies the immediacy of the salvation that Jesus brings in the moment. That you don't have to wait until you die to experience the salvation of Jesus. It begins the moment you first experience Jesus. And then the other thing it signifies is that for you, the reader, when you are reading it and you come across the word today, it is always today for you in that moment. It pulls you into the story makes you realize you can experience Jesus today, right now. As we are gathered here to reflect on the word of God, today, this morning, you can experience Jesus. So we're gonna be jumping towards the end of the Gospel of Luke. The last usage of the word today comes in Luke twenty-three, thirty-two through 43. So I invite you to hear God's word. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Please pray with me. Lord, we know that today you are here with us, speaking to us. That in this moment, Lord, what we are reflecting on isn't just a story from all those years ago, but it's a reality of an invitation extended to us now, in this moment. So help us to hear you clearly. Open up our eyes that we might see you that we might accept your invitation, follow you, and be your people in this world. Speak to us through your scriptures now. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So reading that, I know at least a couple of you who pay attention to things like the church calendar were thinking, why are we reading this? It's not Good Friday. This is the story of the cross, and we usually only come around to it around Easter or so, a little bit before Easter. But we're reading it because this has the key use of the word today in the Gospel of Luke. I think all of the other times that this word has, that it comes up, the other three instances, there's about four total, they're all building up to this moment. And I think in that dialogue between Jesus and that criminal, you can find in that one of, if not the most important messages In the Gospel of Luke. That dialogue between Jesus and that criminal. We have to set the scene a little bit here and just remind us all of of this moment that you experienced reading this passage. As you've been able to put together, this is the time when Jesus is about to die. He's going to his death. He's lived his earthly life. He's conducted his ministry. He's gone around preaching the kingdom of God, performing signs and wonders, healing people. He's also embraced those the world has told him not to embrace. The people who are supposed to be considered enemies, he befriended. He lifted up Samaritans as examples. And in doing so, he angered people, and he was sentenced to death. This is a dark moment. This is not one of the happy times in Scripture. This is a difficult scene. I think we have to understand just how difficult it is in order to understand this message that Luke has for us on the cross between Jesus and this criminal. Crucifixion was intentionally designed by the Roman Empire to be both the most painful type of death and the most shameful type of death. It's been said that crucifixion was essentially state-sponsored terrorism. It was designed to have such an excruciating death that was conducted in the most public of ways so that everyone would be terrified of Rome and nobody would defy the Roman Empire. It was as hard of a death as one could experience. And that's where Jesus and these criminals are. And not only on top of that, he has to deal with people mocking him, these leaders saying, he said he's the son of God, why can't he save himself? Goading him. The soldiers start mocking him. He doesn't have to just deal with that, though. He also has to deal with these two criminals on each side of him, arguing back and forth as he's trying to die peacefully. Granted, that's not the biggest problem here, but it's kind of annoying, right? I mean, one of these criminals who's there in the same situation as him starts mocking him also. Look, this is a, this is a low point here. Everybody involved in the story at this point is having a very, very rough day. This is a moment of grief, of sadness, of the forces of evil seeming to have won in the world. And it's in the midst of that, that Luke gives us this conversation between this criminal and Jesus. Not the first one making fun of him, but the second criminal. The one who says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Before he says that, he rebukes the other criminal, though. He defends Jesus in this moment where everybody else is looking around and seeing defeat. When all the people who have followed Jesus are looking and thinking it's all over, Jesus is losing his life, this criminal is able to recognize who Jesus is. In that moment, he sees Jesus for who he is, and he sees the cross for what it is also. It's remarkable, the insight of this criminal. And I want to tell you, this conversation only happens in the Gospel of Luke. The other Gospels don't give us this. This is the Gospel of Luke tells us about this encounter. Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. There's a faith there that is powerful. There's a recognition there of who Jesus actually is, and that even though he is about to die, he is still truly the Messiah. And that the cross isn't a sign of defeat, but that the victory is still going to be won. In the darkest of moments, we have this word of hope coming from this criminal. And Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. I can't think of a deeper word of hope than what Jesus says there. Today, you will be with me in paradise. There's two words I want to focus on in that. The the first is the word paradise. I don't know what you all think of when you think of paradise. Some of you might think of being on a beach in the Bahamas in a tropical paradise of sorts. A few of you might think of a small town in Indiana where the high school kids aren't allowed to dance, but Kevin Bacon shows up. And in the third song of the Footloose soundtrack, you hear that almost paradise. A few of you maybe? A few more of you might think of a lot of late 20s, early 30s singles on a beach in Mexico with the show Bachelor in Paradise. Does anybody watch? I don't, just so you know my wife does and I sit there and make fun of it. That's not watching though, it's very different. As long as you're snooty, you're not actually watching. All of those instances of, of paradise, though, and the way we use the word, they come well after the Bible using the word. And the Bible has a very specific use of paradise, a specific de- definition. In the New Testament, the word doesn't show up too often. It shows up three times. The first is here on the cross between Jesus and this criminal. The second instance of paradise comes from Second Corinthians 12, 1 through four, which I want to read to you now just kind of figuring out what does the Bible mean by paradise? What does it point to when it thinks of paradise? The Apostle Paul says this, "'It is necessary to boast. "'Nothing is to be gained by it, "'but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. "'I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago "'was caught up to the third heaven. "'Whether in the body or out of the body, "'I do not know, God knows. "'And I know that such a person, "'whether in the body or out of the body, "'I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. So Paul's talking about paradise there, and if you know what he's talking about, you're smarter than I am. There's a lot of mystery in that passage. People have debated it for a long time, and I don't know if it gives us too many clues, but I wanted you to just see one of the three instances of paradise in the scriptures. It's in the third instance, though, Revelation 2.7 that I think we start getting some clues as to what the Bible is talking about when it talks about paradise. Revelation 2.7 says this, Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. To eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. There's only one place where the tree of life exists in the scriptures and in the world. And it's in the garden. God's garden. Joel Green, New Testament scholar, says paradise refers to God's garden. It's actually very specific. We know it as the Garden of Eden. But it's not just a garden. It's not just a physical place. It's also a symbol. In the garden was when humanity was made right with God. When humanity lived with God, walked with God, and everything was flourishing. The world looked as the as the way God wanted it to look. God's intentions were lived out. Human beings weren't harming each other. Human beings weren't being violent with one another, taking advantage of one another. Humanity and God's creation flourished, lived in harmony. There wasn't exploitation of the land taking place. And nature wasn't dangerous, wasn't a threat to humanity. Everything functioned well. The world was as it was always supposed to be in the garden. That's what paradise means. And that's what Jesus talks about on the cross. Think about the contrast there. I just described to you how dark of a moment this was, how painful, full of grief of a moment it was with Jesus and this criminal and everything happening around them. And in the midst of that, Jesus extends an invitation to the garden. Everything seems wrong, and yet Jesus tells the criminal, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be made right. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is a glimpse of what the Gospel of Luke means by salvation. This picture of paradise, this picture of the garden, the world made right. People treating each other as we're always supposed to treat each other. The outsiders being taken care of and brought to the inside. The poor having what they need. The world functioning the way it's supposed to function. That's what salvation is in the Gospel of Luke. And there in the midst of the worst moment for all three of these people on the cross, That's what Jesus offers. So paradise is a word I think we have to understand clearly and get that clear picture of the garden and what it symbolizes. But then the other word that we have to look at closely here is the word we've been focusing on throughout the sermon series today. In this context, Jesus using that word today is almost a defiance of the forces of evil. He says today Meaning, in that moment, right then, that criminal is about to enter into paradise. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are around them, Jesus offers that hope there. And we know He is true to His word. Jesus says today. Now, one thing I've been saying during the sermon series is you don't have to die to experience the salvation Jesus offers. This criminal, obviously, is about to die. But we know from the other uses of it that today means right then and there. Now, today also means right then and there for us, wherever we are. And I don't know what circumstances you find yourself in, but I'm guessing they're not as bad as that criminal, I hope pretty rough for you if it is, but I'm guessing that what that criminal is experiencing is worse than anything any of us will probably experience in our lives. And it's in the midst of that that Jesus offers that word of hope, but that same word is extended to each and every one of us. I mean, Jesus invites you into salvation. Wherever you are, whatever it is you're experiencing, he invites you into salvation. And this example of the criminal, I think it teaches us a few things also. Embracing that salvation, it has nothing to do with anything that you have done or can do or will do. That criminal says, by his own admission, he deserves to be up on that cross. He's getting what he deserves. It's not like he lived a good life. It's not like he was unjustly prosecuted there. He says he deserved it. And yet Jesus extends an invitation to him to be in paradise. There's also not much else he's going to do in the rest of his life, folks, okay? It's coming to an end. And yet Jesus extends a moment or an invitation to him in that moment. That's the salvation God offers us. It has nothing to do with our circumstances, with what we've done, with what we can do. It's simply an act of grace. And it's extended to the most surprising of people, to a thief on the cross who does nothing but recognize who Jesus is. That invitation is there for each and every one of us to recognize who Jesus is. Even if you've been following Jesus for a long time, there are ways in which you can be freed, you can be saved from darkness in your life that is holding you back, holding you down. That invitation is extended to each and every one of us. But I said at the beginning, I think that this dialogue with Jesus and this criminal has one of the most important messages in the Gospel of Luke. And I think I would summarize it this way. Jesus invites you to salvation, and it is never too late to take him up on that. No matter where you are, no matter what stage in life you are, no matter what you've done, what's in your past, it is never too late to accept the invitation that Jesus extends to experience the garden. Now, you won't experience it right now fully because we're still on this side of the kingdom of God. But you get glimpses of it. You see ways in which the world is being made right. Ways in which God is restoring this world to the garden, to that state. You see them for what they are. Your hope is deepened. Your faith is strengthened. And you can move forward with expectation, with anticipation, knowing that today you will be with me in paradise. That that's what Jesus says to you also. It's never too late. In the midst of those circumstances that none of us could imagine, that's what Jesus offers. And he offers it to each of us today. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word of hope. We thank you that you offer us that word. Today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, we know that it begins now, that the invitation is extended to us now, and that all you ask is that we recognize who you are, that we see you for the Messiah, we see you for God's chosen, and that we recognize that despite What the world looks like around us, despite what our lives look like, you will come into your kingdom. You will be victorious. And this world will be made right and it will reflect the garden once again. Deepen our faith, Lord. Strengthen our hope. Give us what we need to accept that invitation. That we might share this word of hope and resurrection that the world might know who you are. And as we worship you by giving back to you now, Use these offerings so that we would spread that hope, that we would extend that invitation, that we would remind others of who you are and your deep, deep grace, so that whatever circumstances they find themselves in, they know that you invite them also into salvation. Lord, use these offerings so that others can know who you are through us. Bless the offering towards that end. We thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We'll continue our worship by giving back to God with tithes and offerings. So I'll invite our ushers to come forward as we worship God.
0: still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness